Welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. I'm glad that you're here joining us today. And this is the venerable Pastor Harv. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, no big deal. I'm glad to be here and happy. Uh, I think Doug didn't have a sermon prep, so he said, just come stand and I'll make fun of you for about 30 minutes. What's so, wrong with that? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It is nice to be with you guys. And what we thought yeah. was, look, this has been a big year, a jam-packed year. Lots of things Huge. have happened. Uh, you know, we can go into the COVID, we can go into the economy, we can go into the politics, we can go into the world events. So many extraordinary things coming along. But the one thread that has been consistent through all of that is that we've been focused on Jesus Christ as our leader and the Lord of our lives, and also the leader and Lord of our church, is that for sure this has impacted us all. Uh, but what I know that my family, they joke about me with this little saying, but you know, you find out what's in a bug when it smashes on your windshield. Unfortunately, it's late for the bug, right? Uh, but what you find out is that when tough things happen, you actually find out what is inside of you. And so what we thought we would do is we thought we would spend a little bit of time here at the end of the year talking about, yeah, talking uh, about important yeah. things and also just give you a sense of history. Uh, Doug and I are obviously now on staff together. I, I was part-time here for about a year and then came, my family and I moved here at the end of July. Yeah. And we've now been here and we've gone through all that. Wow, we've got a new seventh grader. She's going to try to find a school. Schools are closed. Schools are open. Schools are closed. Schools are open. Schools are, wow, Lord, what are we going to do? So we felt a lot of that change that many of you felt. Uh, we've done that by even moving in the midst of this year. Uh, and we sent off another daughter to college. And we've... A lot of uh, transitions yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so which reminds me of... Uh, 30, gosh, to give you a perspective, a lot of, some of you are new to the church, some of you uh, are new watching online or, or doing church at home, and we just appreciate you, just so that you kind of know a little bit about Harv and I, and uh, on December 17th, a uh, little over a week ago, I guess, if, yeah, I uh, celebrated my 32nd wedding anniversary, and here's a picture of us when we got married uh, in this church here, and yeah, uh, my wife had lots of really close friends, and so she says, you're going to have to get a lot of groomsmen, but my mother-in-law made all of these dresses by hand, so isn't that amazing? And, uh, but then, uh, here's Harv right here, stand up there. They had to place them by height, you know, and uh, Todd Carter and Joel Sakura are kind of short, so they put them up on things that Harv are tall, so... But anyway, so uh, there's Harv, and then here's the next picture. Tell them about this one, Harv. So this is June, January 6th, a year later, when Shadley and I got married. And yeah. it tells you a lot about my personality and that I simply bought everything they were wearing secondhand. And now I bought, Same outfits. Same outfits. So <laughs> Kim's mom made these dresses. No, I'm kidding. She didn't make these dresses. But anyway, so as you can see here, my brother Charlie, who's here with us in church this morning, and then uh, our pastor Doug right here is right behind me over my shoulder, and then our good friend Russ Moldovan is here in this yeah. picture. And then most importantly, my lovely wife Shadley is here. And bless her heart, she made a bad decision that day. She said yes, and I, she made a commitment to God, and I'm holding her to it. Now, for 31 years, uh, we've been married. So Doug and I go way back. We go way back. In relationship. Yeah. yeah, we've known each other a long time. And, you know, it's interesting when, you know, you do something for a long, long time, it gives you perspective. It allows you to see, uh, I think, the hand of God moving in ways that a lot of people, that you normally wouldn't see Absolutely. just in the immediate. And, you know, we were talking about this and sharing, and, 
we have a, a, a verse in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11 that talks about looking over very long spans of time. And I'll read it to you here real quick. It just simply says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. Now, who is he referencing there? Well, if you go back to the beginning of verse uh, 1 of chapter 11, he talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac and Jacob. And then he talks about Moses. And then he talks about David. He talks about all these people who lived in faith, right? And then he talks about people in the New Testament who lived by faith. And he said, all of these people died before they received the things their faith were promised. And if you think about that, that's really an interesting uh, principle, and that is they believed and had faith in a promise, but they never received it. They died receiving it, but they never, ever gave up their faith. They never wavered in their faith, and he says, why? Because they saw the promises, they welcomed them from a distance. And the distance he's talking about there is a time distance. It's not like a far away, but time. He says, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And so that really gives us a perspective of like the best way to survive anything that is happening is by looking forward. Well, the long view is an important part of the Christian faith because we've always had a view of the horizon as opposed to just what's in front of us. If you look at the world around us, it clamors and worries and is scared to death about what are we going to do today? What are we going to do tomorrow? One of the great benefits of the Christian walk is that we have a God that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he's also a God who holds the future in his hands. He's not some God who's what I like to call a small G God who just kind of takes care of this for you. God is the God of the Bible, and He's an all-encompassing God. And so you saw those pictures that were Doug and Kim and them getting married and uh, Kim's family and Doug's family and my family and, and uh, at my mm-hmm. wedding. What, what you should understand as well about the life of faith that Doug and I are walking in is that we sure don't have it down perfect. We sure don't have perfect lives. But what we've done is we've been persistent. We've been persistent in walking with God. And it's interesting to us that through this year of COVID, God knew this was the right year uh, for the Friesen family to join uh, Doug and Kim and their family and being a part of this church and saying, we're going to keep facing our face towards God, trusting Him, even in the midst of very difficult situations. Doug, what what would you observe as some of the seminal moments of this year? What would you see uh, things that have happened? Well, you know, I'm kind of hoping, though, though, today that our conversation just inspires people in their faith, and they can see how we interact and, yeah. and just get an idea for that. But some of the seminal things that I think really influenced us this year are, first of all, we're going into an election, and politics have become more and more contentious. And if, if you can step out of what side you're on for just a moment and think for a second, what's happening, because we've entered into a postmodern deconstructionist way of thinking is that it is, you have to take a side now. You know what I'm saying? Is that you're forced Forced to take a side. And uh, in the end, what that does is, is that tends to polarize more that the kind of the overarching outflow is it polarizes more. Then you add on top of that uh, kind of the economic uh, consumerism, the underlying basis for, our society, and then you add to it COVID coming in. Uh, COVID came in, and it's really rocked the world. And I think 
what has happened is what we have seen is that our political leaders, our health officials, scientists, doctors, and all that stuff, is that uh, throughout this, they would say all these different groups, well, we need to do this, or we need to do that, or this is happening, and that is happening. And then it changes, right? And what that communicates overall is that in the end, nobody really, really knows, right? I mean, we don't really know until after it happens, and then we can say, oh, I knew that was going to happen. But, you know, hindsight is way too But the thing is, is that we are not, and I think what people are discovering out of all these seminal moments is we're not in as control of things as we think we are. Oh, absolutely. And, and the other thing and I think it's exposed is our values. Our yeah. values have been exposed full out there, full born. Everything in this political year became political. I mean, a scientist simply trying to do their science work all of a sudden now gets a political overlay. A person simply trying to either go to the store or not go to the store all of a sudden has a political component to it. And what we're saying is the short view is this, is that the world became extremely contentious. It probably will become even more contentious. As people of God, we've got to learn to live in a new normal, but we've got to also learn to believe that our faith actually does effectuate change and effectuates how we live Monday through Saturday, much more so than just the thought of ever being on a Sunday. We are called to be believers, and that's our goal, is be disciples, not just people that come and sit, but people that actually go and live. Live, yeah, and I think, think, you know, you said something really important is that uh, all of these things, but COVID in particular, it really exposed our values, and I think one of the seminal moments in it is that uh, it showed us that pragmatically speaking, we were kind of putting our faith in more what I would call material things. But uh, the reason why everything has become so contentious is because in postmodernism, there's no objective truth, you see. There's, it's just a narrative. Yeah. And so facts are just used to propagate whatever narrative whoever wants to control the narrative is trying to do. So you have these different narratives that are going out. So there's no referee anymore, and the way I reference is that everybody becomes a defense lawyer. Well, they only right. care about the facts that build their case. Well, and what happens is, is with no right or wrong, it all comes down to coercion. How yeah. can I coerce you to believe what I want to believe? How can I control you and tell you how to live? How can I force my value scenarios yeah. onto you? And we saw that come out of all kinds of different places Yeah, and I year. think, And I think what's happened is that uh, it's kind of brought in, even into the church a little bit because you you gotta you gotta continue a spectrum. Well, so That's I, what yeah. it is. Yeah, I think you gotta show everybody the spectrum and kind of talk so, about. So it for take a, a second. look at this little thing that Doug and I here uh, have up here for you to look at. But that is is that if you look at this spectrum here for a moment, you've got one side and you've got another side. And let's just give me, if you will, for a moment. Be patient with me, if you will. Uh, be gracious before you pull out the fruit and the vegetables and the knives and everything else you might throw here in the studio, uh, in this church. Uh, but look, look at this with me for just a moment, okay? Is that what COVID did was it COVID exposed how we look at life in generally. Yeah. It also exposed a little bit about our health and where our health conditions are because a lot of us can have different things going on in our lives that no one else knows about, but all of a sudden COVID creates a scenario where we have to do something about it. So 
what I see is this spectrum here. And again, this is just an idea about it. But on one side, there is a sense that people are, can be COVID controlled. It runs their lives. It runs every component of their lives. They're living, and I would say over here, in a lot of fear. Over on this side, you have what I would call COVID belligerence. And that is, is that instead of being run by fear, they're more run by anger of being told what to do or what not to do. And so those are the extreme edges with me, okay? And what I have watched over the course of this year is the idea that somewhere in the middle of this, we're called to be Christians. Somewhere in the middle of this, we're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? Somewhere in the middle of this, remember this, we've got over 127 first responders that go to our church who they wake up every morning and pray and say, Lord God, I got to go out there and I have to do my job in the midst of a world that needs me to provide security, that needs me to provide public order, that needs me to provide medicine and health and care and all those other kinds of things. What would it look like if we as Christians could see this with an overlay on the second picture that I've put up here for us. And that is this, is that what if we went from the edges of COVID controlling our lives and us living in utter fear, or COVID being one of those things that we just despise people that feel the way they feel about it, and we moved one step in. This blue circle, if you will, is just one step in. What if instead of COVID belligerent, we turned out to be just COVID cautious? You know what? I'll look out for you. You look out for me. Uh, what if out on this side, we went from COVID controlled to COVID concerned and said, yeah, this is a concern and I'll take appropriate measures. There's a distinctively different thing about Christianity that any of the other religions yeah. around the world that do not have. And it's called this ready third party deference. Here's what third party deference is. Uh, I'm here, I'm sitting with my friend Doug, and there's someone who joins the, the conversation. The person who joins the conversation shows up with a mask. I might pull my mask out and put it on, even though I'm going to continue to be socially distanced, because the Bible says that we must look out for others, not merely our own selves, and not only our own interests. I remember when I went to India, I helped build a hospital over in India, and I've been over there several times, and when I, when I was there, I just blown away at people who were living in, in squalor and in really difficult situations. And, and in their system, in their culture, the view is this. They're living in that, in that terrible scenario because they deserve it. It's called karma. And the notion of helping someone else is foreign to their idea. As Americans, we think, well, we should help our neighbor. That is a uniquely Christian idea. Yes. Now, there are good people all over the world who do look out for each other. But from a religious standpoint, Christianity says the closer we come to the cross, the more we remember that other people and their situation matters. So in that, what would it look like if we as believers, and and I've seen it all through the year, by the way, is that we've moved in and we moved in from here to being cautious to say, what if it would look like if we were COVID caring on this side and COVID careful on that side? I think most of us could live within that, you know, that red circle in the middle and saying, you know what? You be careful, I'll be caring. Yeah, and but, I think the scripture really talks yeah. about this in particular because if, if you're out here, you're living in fear. What does this Isaiah pass say about so that? Isaiah, so put up a couple of scriptures for you here. Isaiah 41.10 says this, Do not fear. And this is God directly speaking to you, speaking to his people. Do not fear, for I am with you. 
Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When we start talking about prayer, one of the things that I've learned in prayer is that I actually invite the presence of God into my life, not because I'm some prayer person, but because God says, hey, ask for it. If you're a parent, you understand this. Doesn't it feel terrible when your kid takes something for granted from you? But what you would rather prefer is, is that they actually ask you. Well, praying and asking is saying, God, I'm inviting you into my day so that I don't have to live in fear. The right hand of God represents what? The strength of God. What he's saying is this, is if you approach me, my right hand will be about you. And that deals with things like pestilence and people taking our things and our lives and all kinds of maladies. On the opposite side, there's this other verse. For those of us who would say maybe over on this other side, hey, it's not as big of a deal to us. There's this verse. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 with me. It says, for you were called to freedom. Absolutely. It's a free country, right? We say that, but we can also sometimes say it in ways that are demeaning. Hear me on this. This is a free country, but it doesn't mean that we have to poke, our, uh, poke people in the eye because they maybe have something going on in their lives that makes them a lot more or a little more cautious. We were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. That word there, that concept there is this, is selfish. Don't be selfish with your freedom. Freedom is something to be enjoyed by others and by us. But through love, serve one another. Now, the verse that comes and culminates for both sides of this discussion really is in verse 14 and verse 15 of Galatians 5. Take a look here. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, this is a word, I think, for our culture. And I think it's actually 2021. This is probably going to be a seminal word, uh, something extremely important for the culture around us. If you, die, if you bite and devour one, or, one another... Take care that you are not consumed by one another. Friends, we, we're, we're watching our world really truly learn to bite and devour in incredible ways. Schools, hospitals, politics, neighborhoods, churches. There have been whole churches that have been split over wear a mask, don't wear a mask. What we're saying is this, is that what overrides everything is the love of God and that is this, is that we would love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor, this one, and third-party neighbor as we love ourselves. That's a Christ response, I think. And it doesn't mean we don't hold convictions. It means we hold convictions in, 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 a, in a sense of, uh, if you will, constant tension, our convictions coupled with caring about other people. Yeah, we, we can have convictions, and we should have courage in our convictions. Absolutely. Uh, but we can have courage in our convictions with gentleness and reverence. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, yeah. There's no need for, for us to be belligerent about it. There's actually a verse, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, Little children, let us not love with words or with tongue. In other words, with just what you say. But let us love in deeds and in actions. Christianity is not something where we just say the right things. We actually are called to do, do the, the right, right things. things. Yeah. And you know something that's very interesting? And this is what I think makes our world so hard right now is that the easiest things for us to do as human beings is to judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions. Because we, we always believe our intentions are great, right? Mm -hmm. And what we do when we look at other people's actions is we actually imply that their motive is not great. And I think, and I think that right there is one of the key things that the church, people who are followers of Christ, can be is because, Absolutely. you know, we, we live now, and I know this is kind of a, 
a philosophical point, but you, we live in a postmodern deconstructionist society. And what that says is that there's no truth out there. And so if somebody has a different narrative that's objective or outside of you, then that gives you the freedom to denigrate and hate the person who has that opposing viewpoint. And Christianity is so odd because no other philosophy, no other belief system, and no other religion uh, actually has written into its core values love and respect for those who disagree with you or are outside the faith. You know, Jesus said, you need to pray for those who always agree with you, like your opinions, and listen to the same talk show radio host that you listen to. No, wrong Bible, wrong Bible. That's the Bible I brought you told me was wrong. Oh, that, oh, yeah, okay. No, because what it says, we need to pray for those who persecute persecute us. Yeah, and Jesus said, yeah, you know, love your enemy, you know, which is hard to do. Uh, very hard to do. Well, and especially in a culture right now where, yeah. where the institutions that hold our fabric together, they're on full-on assault. There is full a full-on assault. assault to tear down this deconstructionism. And, and here's where it is. Deconstruct the biblical family. Deconstruct the biblical yeah. idea around sexuality. Deconstruct the biblical idea around the innocence of children. Deconstruct the idea of what it means to actually be a husband and a wife. Deconstruct the idea of what institutions matter and count when it comes to the judicial system, our law enforcement, our fire departments, all the, our, our health departments. Yeah. All those things are being on full frontal assault with a deconstructionist idea. And we as Christians, by the way, what we, we should understand is that the first century church, Doug, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, the first century church was actually built to face difficult times like us. Yeah, you know, because people are always wondering, what is God actually doing in these circumstances? And I, I think a couple things we have to realize is that, number one, uh, we have lived in an age, a time where the poorest people in American society live better than kings did 250 years ago. So it's, we, we're living in the wealthiest, most affluent society in the history of the world. Yeah. And we are living with the greatest opportunity, the greatest medical advancements, the greatest technologies. We, we have more comfort, you know. Uh, uh, you know, I can talk to my mom and she, you know, she talks about what life was like without air conditioning, you know, and I'm like, how could you live that way? So, uh, but, um, so on the one hand, we have to realize that. So, and I think you and I were chatting about this and we were talking about, um, how, how people say, man, uh, some young people are like, this is the worst year ever in my entire life in 2020. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I say, well, go talk to your grandparents, you know, and they can tell you about the Great Depression a little bit, Absolutely. you know, or World War II. Go talk to Herb, you know, and he'll give you a, a little bit of insight on, on what the world was like. Well, and you, and you know what people do when they do that? They're offering you perspective. One of the most beautiful yeah. things about this book we call yeah. the Bible this book that we hold dear, the book, why we, we study it and read it. Some people go, why do you read it? I read it for perspective. There were people that faced difficult times and, and, and followed God and made their way through. I read the scripture for yeah. perspective. And what the, the perspective of the Bible is driven by is this, the long view. The That's long right. view. One of the greatest one of the greatest struggles of our world, and this just didn't build up over the course of this last year. This has been building up for forever, and that is this, is that the need for instant gratification drives our self-absorbed world. 
We constantly need to be served and fed and entertained and looked after. And the worst thing that could happen is, is that we're bored. Well, whatever happened to the notion of just the joy and the beauty of saying, you know what, I'm going to go for a walk today. And it doesn't have to be 50 times more awesome and better than the last one I went on. I'm just going to hold my wife's hand and I'm going to go for a walk. And I'm enjoying you mean I don't have to hit the heart rate thing on my Apple Watch telling me I'm two steps short of my goal? If you, if you need that to help you move forward in life, Doug, may the Lord bless you and keep you. <laughs> I'm just going to go out and his way kiss saying, my wife oh, and make my kids up. blush, bro. That's what I'm after. Well, I so. think, But see, I think that's one of the things that God does is he has chosen out of love to not insulate us from two things. Number one the outcome of our own bad choices. Yeah. You know, could God save us from every one of those things? Absolutely. Does he do it? No. Why? You have two options. Philosophically speaking, if you're a logical person, you use your brain, you say, well, God doesn't love me or God does love me. Now, how many of you ever raised kids, right? And what happens when you save your kid from the outcome of every bad decision they've ever made? What do you develop? You develop a self-centered, spoiled kid who won't do anything for themselves. Absolutely. And you know one of the things that will destroy a home, that will destroy a culture, will destroy a country, will destroy a world is one word, selfishness. 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 Yeah. Because what happens is this, is that when we're called to train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. One of the greatest things that they learn in a Christian perspective is third-party deference. deference yeah. Your kid matters and your kid matters and your kid matters. They all matter, right? And one of the struggles that's going on in the political world around us is we're being told one thing by politicians, yet they're doing another thing. That doesn't feel right, right? It doesn't feel right at all because what it feels like is what? Selfish. Yeah. Selfish. The, Jesus Those said, rules apply to you, but not to me. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, and Jesus said in Matthew 24, I mean, Jesus' end times conversation, the, the one chapter where he does it there in Matthew 24, he says this, and people's love will, because lawlessness increased, yes. that is fewer people actually observing right and wrong, because lawlessness increased, people's love will grow cold. Cold. I mean, yeah. we're watching that, aren't we? I mean, we're watching that. People are becoming yeah. more and more cold-hearted. Yeah. Which leads to the second thing that God has chosen out of love, and that is, and this is what's really hard, I think, for people to adopt, is that if God isn't going to save me from the outcome of my really bad decisions, right? You reap what you sow principle. Uh, we also live in this world where he is not stopping every bad thing that happens to other people. So I sometimes will suffer the bad decision of somebody else, right? You know, like um, you re we read about these stories, they're just absolutely heartbreaking. Somebody, you know, spends all night drinking, you know, they go out in their car and they pass out. This, this just happened in Washington in Seattle about 10 years ago. This guy drank all night till 2 a.m. The bar closed. They took him out. They threw him in his uh, vehicle, and he f passed out. And he wakes up at about 7.38 in the morning. He's still drunk. He starts his car. He starts driving home, and he runs into a family, a husband and wife and three kids in a minivan on their way to church, and he kills them all. And you look at that, and you go, that, on the surface, you go, that just doesn't seem right. You know, it doesn't seem right. And we look at the, where the world's going right now, and we look at these philosophies, and, how they, and we go, something's not right, something's not right. 
And what we don't realize is two very important truths in there. And the first important truth is the notion that it's not right comes from my soul, which demands justice. And why does my soul demand justice? Because it's created in the image of God. Absolutely. So if there is no God, then there's no thirst for justice, yep. right? It's That's just right. a free-for-all of craziness, well, right? We, yeah, it becomes survival of the fittest. Survival Unfortunately, of they the weren't fittest, fit enough. Yeah. yeah. There's no morality. There's no right or wrong. So my soul thirsts for justice. And then the other side of it is, is that God did answer the evil that happens in this world because Satan is still the ruler of this world, right? Absolutely. And what he did is when he died on the cross, he, it was the power to redeem the effects of evil here on earth and in eternity, Absolutely. right? It can't kill your soul. You know, and that's, that's what's really interesting because Jesus said that. He said, don't be afraid of the one who can hurt your body, right? Be the one who can hurt your soul. soul. And so that, I think, I think what's happening here is God is allowing the church to rediscover pure, authentic faith and then turn us into courageous, strong men and women of faith. People who have the power to see the long game and the promise we welcome the promise. You see, we welcome the blessing of God, the promise of eternity, the promise of heaven. We welcome that. And even though it may not happen in our lifetime, what do we do? If, even if we die here on this earth, we still are welcoming it because we know that it is the only thing that has the power to change the course of human history. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and in that, the reason why we focus on discipleship, you, you guys have heard the story. I mean, I came to Christ meeting with Doug every, every Wednesday at 11.30 in a place in Manhattan, Kansas, where he would share the gospel with me and taught me verse after verse after verse. And then I'd come back with questions and we'd talk again until he finally, he, he didn't lead me to Christ. He was, his life was attractive to me because I wanted what he had. So and I was attractive even though I lived in La Citadel. Uh, you can tell I had vision at that point. I could see past what I was just seeing here. What did you call that no, place I lived in? Doug lived in a place called La Disease. I call, he, it was called La Citadel, and I called it La Disease. I mean, it was despicable. How, they, how it stayed open is absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. It was but cheap. It was cheap, absolutely. And so, uh, but there's a couple things you want to say. You know, out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says the early church got together yeah. and they did four things. They prayed together. They fellowship together, they study the word of God together, and they broke bread together. The church was made by God to withstand any kinds of moments. And if it's people watching online today, yes. or those of us who are gathered here in the room, we will always constantly be the church, but we need an ask from you in 2021. Here's the deal. As the world gets crazier, you have to lean in a little bit better. If there's something going on in your world that we can care for you about and minister to you about, let us know. We can't read your mind and we can't figure out what's going on in your world. If you're out there and you're sort of on the edge of the church, move one step closer. Move one step closer because what yes. I've noticed is this, is that when there were people in my small group that had a difficulty this year, you know what everybody did? We got around each other. We looked after each other. When there are guys in my men's small group, when something happened in one of their lives, we all got together and went around them. They didn't get left out because, and they didn't get lost because they stepped in that one step. Would you have that courage to step in one step? Mm. One step closer. Uh, hear me on this. Is, here's one of our goals of discipleship. Is that Discipleship is there so that we can learn the ability to make godly decisions and good decisions in the middle of crisis moments. Yeah. Godly decisions 
and good decisions. If, you, if you've read any of Rudyard Kipling's poems, I love his poem, If, and, and it starts out with this. He says, if you can keep your head when everyone else around you is losing yours. That's also a goal of discipleship. Keep your head when everyone else is out there losing yours. He says in his poem, it will go well with you, my son. Yeah, and if you wait, though, till the crisis hits to prep yourself. You'll never be ready. You'll never be ready. Well, and unfortunately, you'll constantly be, being, be playing catch up. You're constantly feeling like you're a little behind, a little bit behind. In 2020, we think we had a good year. Look, we had a hard year. We, we pushed in and we pressed through. But good, not because it was some metric out there. It's because we kept our focus on Jesus. See, the attractional model that we want to employ here in this church is not to say, come and be attractive. We've got a great big concert every weekend. We've got great all this pizzazz. And we have, you know, cool things like that. What we're asking you is this, is that you're welcome to look at our lives not the outside attractiveness, because good Lord knows you'd have to have a lot of faith to look at my face and say that. <laughs> Amen. No, I'm sorry. So I, I tell, my, kid, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, I'm, you know what? God is a God of miracles that you turned out halfway good looking when your dad's an ogre, right? I mean, I'm Shrek, right? I know I'm Shrek. And so, uh, but the idea is this, is that you would have an attraction that says this, you know, the storm hit their house. Why didn't it fold? Whatever's in that house, I want that in my house. Whatever's in their life, yeah. Whatever, yeah, whatever's in their life, I want that in my life. And here's what it is, ready? It's build your house on the rock, don't build your house on the sand. And the rock is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's, that's what's doing. so attractive is, is that it's, you know, the power of redemption, the power of, of everyday living with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit yeah. guiding you and giving you strength and courage that's faith, and that's, that's our dream for everybody is that you walk in the fullness of what God has for you. Absolutely. Not, not just a portion, but the fullness of it, you know. And uh, One of the things that, I, that I've really wrestled through, it, when you're leading something, you know, you're in a, we're in a different chair sometimes, and, you know, a storm comes up, it's like you're flying a plane, and a storm comes up, or the, the wind shifts, or temperature, something that has the potential to crash the plane, um, you, you can sit there and say, well, the wind should blow that way or the temperature should rise. It's the same thing here. It's like, well, the politicians should do this or it, it's not right that they're doing that or this should be going on. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have any control over any of those things. And what, what I see the Lord doing and helping it, the church become, helping us become is this, and that is, what in the first 300 years, the church grew faster than at any other point up until the last 50 years globally, because you look at what's happening in China, Indonesia, and Africa right now, it's just off the charts growing, people turning to the Lord like never before. Praise God. Praise God for that. But prior to that, it grew the fastest before it became legal. So Christianity was illegal. People were persecuted for it up until the Edict of Milan in 312. And then it became the state religion of Rome under Constantine in 324. So how did it grow so fast when it was illegal, you know? Well, what happened is there were no large group meetings. There were no events to go to. There were no concerts. There were no Christian Yannis going around in the Acropolis playing stuff. None of that happened because it was all illegal. And so how did it grow so quickly? Well, it grew because like you were just saying that discipleship is a one-on-one relationship. These small groups, people were sharing their faith. 
people had questions about their life. Why am I here? What does all this mean? And then the other person said, well, let me share with you the answer that I have found in Jesus and Him alone. And because of that, it just grew and grew and grew. And so I look at what's going on now, and I think, what things can we as a church focus on that uh, transcend all of the things going on out there? What, can, what could we focus on so that we're not fo- looking at it, oh, I wish things were different? I think, well, you know, it is what it is. What are we going to do? How are we going to chart through this course? How are we going to find out what God wants to do in our lives? And if your church can do that and model that for you, I hope that you can then do that in your own life very effectively. What does God want to do in this situation? How is He going to lead and guide me through this challenge that I have? What's His promise for me in faith in this? And how do I stick to the long game to see my whole life, my whole faith being molded and shaped by Him. Yeah. Well, in the, fi- you know, in the financial crisis that happened in 2008, 2009, the world melted down. And there was, there was a phrase I remember hearing. I was working in finance at the time, and, and one of the phrases I heard was turtling. And there were a lot of people that were turtling. They were getting into their shell. They were hunkering down. And they were holding on tight. And, and I, I remember thinking that's an interesting perspective is that, is that what God would want us to do? And I actually think that God might have given us the turtle modality, but the turtle that God would call us to be is actually the one that keeps going and keeps moving, working in a slow pace, heading in a, heading in a direction that God's called them to do, but it will take a little bit of sticking your neck out. First responders, those of you who walk out there and who do this on our behalf, God bless you. You didn't turtle. You kept going. We as a church, we're going to follow your lead. We're going to keep going too. Yeah. We're going to keep walking and keep believing and keep praying and keep looking out for each other. And if you're just hearing us for the first time, welcome. There's room, uh, whether online or whether in one of our groups or whether in one of the rows here uh, or in any other way in this church, you are welcome uh, because God has a care for people who've both been found and yet those who are about to be. Yeah, and we're going to keep uh, focusing on you know, the, these one-on-one spiritual mentoring relationships, small groups, micro churches, churches at home, here on campus, your family, these, you know, yeah, we love, we love what we're doing and we're having a great time. I'm really enjoying it, even in the midst of what, what our world is doing. It's a, it's a ton of fun. And like I always say, keep your sense of humor because you need one here at Foothills because <laughs> half of my jokes are really bad and the other half that are funny come from my wife. So... <laughs> Guys, it's been nice to be with you here this morning. If you're online, uh, stay with us here on the videos. Jason takes us out. 2020 has been a challenge. 2021 is going to be an even bigger challenge. The reason why is because our mission is to do more, go farther, and be the church like never before. Maybe it's time you joined us. What you need to do is start your spiritual journey. You can begin by downloading the book, How to Connect to Jesus, from our website. It's free. You may need to be baptized. Simply text FHBAPTISM to 97000. We would love to pray with you. Text FHPRAYER to 97000. The most important step that you can take in the new year is to become part of a small group. This is where discipleship and real growth in your faith can happen. And we want to do everything we can to help you build a firm foundation. If you were doing church at home, use the discussion questions to continue the conversation. If you're on campus, let's stand for closing prayer.